read three brief passages of Scripture this morning, beginning with Deuteronomy 6, verses 13 through 15. There are many passages of Scripture that give instruction about the swearing of oaths. We're going to just choose three of them this morning. We read this chapter last Sunday afternoon, so it should be somewhat familiar to us. Deuteronomy 6, verses 13 through 15. Moses, giving instruction to the children of Israel, says to them, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. In the second place, let's turn to 1 Samuel 24. Here we have an instance of an Old Testament saint swearing an oath. 1 Samuel 24, when David encountered Saul in the wilderness of Judah. Saul was in the cave. David cut off a portion of his garment, but David did not kill Saul when he could have. And then when David showed Saul that he could have killed him but didn't, we read in verse 20, This is what Saul said to David, And now, behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now, therefore, unto me by the Lord, that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me, and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swear unto Saul. And Saul went home. But David and his men got them up onto the hold. Then finally, Matthew chapter 5. Our Lord Jesus Christ gives us instruction about the swearing of oaths in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not Forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be, yea, yea, Nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. On these passages of Scripture and many other is the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 37. Lord's Day 37 in the back of the Psalter on page 22. May we then swear religiously by the name of God? Yes, either when the magistrates demand it of the subjects, or 
when necessity requires us thereby to confirm fidelity and truth to the glory of God and the safety of our neighbor. For such an oath is founded on God's word and therefore was justly used by the saints both in the Old and New Testament. May we also swear by saints or any other creatures? No, for a lawful oath is calling upon God as the only one who knows the heart that he will bear witness to the truth and punish me if I swear falsely, which honor is due to no creature. May we then swear religiously by the name of God. That's the first question of this Lord's Day. And we can see readily from that question that this Lord's Day is connected to the previous Lord's Day. May we then swear religiously by the name of God. The question is, why does it say, may we then swear religiously? Obviously, there's a connection to the previous Lord's Day. If you recall, last Sunday we considered Lord's Day 36. That Lord's Day explains what God requires in the third commandment. We are considering the commandments of God's law right now in the Catechism. And we saw that the third commandment, which says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, is to be understood this way, that God requires us positively to use his name only with fear and reverence in all of our worship and praise and prayer. And we are not to abuse the name of God. And then a variety of ways that is done were given, such as cursing and perjury and swearing of rash oaths. That was Lord's Day 36. That Lord's Day told us that God forbids rash swearing. This Lord's Day now asks us, well, what about religious swearing? Are we permitted to swear religiously by the name of God? And that's the question that we face this morning. Now, this question was controversial in the time of the Reformation when the Catechism was written. And that explains why we have an entire Lord's Day devoted to this topic as a sort of special application and appendix to Lord's Day 36. It was controversial in those days, in the 1500s. And it was controversial because on the one hand, there were the Anabaptists. There was Menno Simons, the founder and father of the Mennonites, who claimed that Christians may not ever swear an oath under any circumstance. It is always wrong to swear an oath. After all, Menno Simons pointed to the Sermon on the Mount that we read, in which Jesus teaches, swear not at all. And James repeats that in his epistle in chapter 5, where he says, above all things, my brethren, swear not. So the Anabaptists and their followers after them have maintained that the Christian is never permitted to swear an oath. On the other hand, there was the Roman Catholic Church 
And in the Roman Catholic Church in those days, all kinds of oaths were allowed. You could swear any kind of oath that you desired. You could swear an oath in the name of God. You could swear an oath in the name of a saint. You could swear an oath in the name of the Virgin Mary. You could swear an oath by an angel or by other creatures. And oaths proliferated. The Reformed faith took issue with both of those. The Reformed faith took issue with the Anabaptist view and with the Roman Catholic view and sets down the biblical view here in this Lord's Day. Now, this matter of swearing oaths is probably not something that we face on a daily basis. Nevertheless, we do need to hear instruction because there is always a temptation to rash swearing in daily life. And there do arise occasions in daily life when we are called upon to swear oaths. And so we need this instruction. What is God's will for us as Christians when it comes to the swearing of oaths? So I call your attention to that subject this morning, swearing oaths in the name of God. Let's notice, first of all, the proper oath, secondly, the proper time, and thirdly, the proper purpose. According to the word of God, over against the Anabaptist view and over against the Roman Catholic view, it is proper and lawful for a Christian to swear an oath at certain times and in certain circumstances, but only ever in and by using the name of God. That is the proper oath. The proper oath is one that calls upon the name of God. There is no other oath that is proper. Such an oath, according to the Catechism, is founded on the word of God and was justly used by the saints both in the Old and New Testaments. We saw that in Deuteronomy 6, Moses preached to the children of Israel what is a proper oath. He told them, you must fear the Lord, you must serve your God, and you must swear by his name. And what Moses was teaching Israel was, by no other name, but only in the name of Jehovah, may you and must you swear your oaths. We saw that later on in the history, David swore an oath in the name of God. When David caught Saul, vulnerable in that cave in the wilderness of Judah, but David refused to kill the Lord's anointed because he was the Lord's anointed. But David cut off a portion of his garment, and then when Saul woke up and went outside of the cave, David held up that portion of his garment and said, Look, Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't kill you because you are the Lord's anointed king. Then Saul trembled in the realization that he could have died. And he called out to David, knowing that David would be the next king. And he begged David to swear an oath in the name of Jehovah, the God of Israel, that he would not cut off Saul's family, his children after him, that he would not kill off the house of Saul. It was a very serious situation, and David swore that oath in the name of Jehovah, the God of Israel, that he would not cut off the house of Saul. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament also swore oaths. You can find those in his epistles. For example, Romans 1, verses 9 and 10, 
Paul, in the opening chapter of his epistle to the Romans, swore an oath, he said, For God is my witness, that's the oath, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He wanted to go to Rome. And he said, as God is my witness, I swear this oath to you in the name of God. This is the desire of my heart, to come to you there in Rome and to bring to you the gospel of salvation. What is the swearing of an oath? The swearing of an oath is an activity in which you call upon someone great or something great, someone or something significant and weighty in order to show someone that you are very, very serious about what you are going to say. And what you are going to say is very important and you want to establish the truth of what you are saying and you want to confirm in their minds and convince them that what you are saying is indeed true. So you call upon someone or something of great weight and importance. The Catechism and the Scriptures teach us that there's only one lawful and proper form of oath-taking, and that is that you call upon the name of the Lord. As the one who is the Most High God, there is none greater than him. And therefore, there is no oath that is proper except the oath that calls upon him. Catechism teaches that a lawful oath is calling upon God as the only one who knows the heart that he will bear witness to the truth and punish me if I swear falsely, which honor is due to no creature. We are to call upon the name of God if and when we swear an oath because God is God and there is none else. God is the only one who knows all things. God is the only one who knows everything that you have done, everything that you have said, everything that other people did or said around you of which you were a witness. God is the only one who knows what is in your heart and what is in my heart what we know to be true, what we know to be the intentions of our heart, the motives of our heart, the desires of our heart. No one knows that but God. A lawful oath then is calling upon God as witness. God is my witness. God is the one who knows my heart. God is the one who knows the truth of what happened. And God will bear witness that what I say is that truth, that what I say is not a lie. When we swear an oath in the name of God, we are placing ourselves into a very serious situation. Because when we call upon God who knows the truth, we are calling upon God to punish us if we lie under that oath. If we swear this oath in the name of God to tell the truth, and then we lie, which is perjury, we bring down upon ourselves the heavy wrath of God. So you see, we place ourselves in a very serious situation whenever we swear an oath in the name of 
God. This is no light matter. God is the creator of the entire universe who fills the heavens and the earth, who is everywhere present, who knows every little detail and every word and every idle thought. And when we speak under oath, we are calling upon him and we are saying, let God punish me. Let God punish me with everlasting damnation in hell if I do not tell the truth now that I have called upon his name. That's what we are doing when we swear an oath. So swearing of an oath in the name of God is an activity of faith. It flows out of faith that there is such a God, that there is a living God who does know the truth, who is just and holy and powerful and righteous, and who can and who will punish me if I lie under that oath. The reason we tell oaths is to confirm fidelity and truth. We swear an oath. We call upon the name of God as our witness to punish us if we lie because we want to convince someone that we are speaking the truth. We swear an oath in the name of God in order to strengthen in the minds of others our credibility, our reliability, our truthfulness. Imagine then the incredible fury of God's wrath toward the man who swears an oath in his name to tell the truth and then lies under oath, deliberately, intentionally, and knowingly, twists and manipulates the truth for his own purposes. This is the manipulator. This is the oppressor. This is the liar. God hates. It is an abomination to him. That's something that we have to remember. We must never forget that. In this world of flippant swearing, of rash swearing, we must remember the seriousness of swearing an oath in God's name. The proper oath is only the one sworn in God's name. We may not swear in any other name. Moses made that clear to the Israelites because there was a real temptation for them as they went into the land of Canaan to swear oaths in the name of the idol gods of the land. Perhaps they felt that if they would swear in the name of Baal or Ashtaroth or Molech or the other gods, that was perhaps a lesser oath, and they did not have to feel so concerned about that kind of an oath. But Moses says, don't do that. If and when you swear an oath, you swear in the name of the Lord your God. What blasphemous idolatry to swear an oath in the name of another God. But later on in the history of the Israelites, in the time of Jesus, there was a very common practice to swear oaths in the name of other creatures. We saw that in Matthew chapter 5. They were swearing oaths by heaven, by the earth, by Jerusalem, and even by their own heads. They would actually swear an oath in the name of those creatures. They knew that it was only proper to swear an oath in the name of God, and yet they would also swear these other oaths in the name of heaven, in the name of the earth, in the name of uh, Jerusalem, and by my own head. 
And Jesus comes and teaches them, It hath been said unto you, Thou shalt not forswear thyself. That is, you must not swear falsely. You must not swear an oath and then break your oath. You have been taught that. That is correct. That is true. But I say unto you, not only is that true, but this is also true. You must never swear by heaven, by the earth, by Jerusalem, or by your own head. And Jesus points out, you must not forget that if you swear an oath by heaven, heaven is God's throne. So really, you are swearing an oath in the name of God. If you swear by the earth, the earth is the Lord's footstool. You are swearing an oath in the name of God. If you swear by Jerusalem, that's the city of the great king. You are swearing an oath in the name of God. If you swear by your own head, you must remember, God created your head. He created every hair on your head. He determined the exact length of your hairs and the color of your hairs. And you can't change one of them from black to white or from white to black. So if you swear by your head, then too, you are swearing by God. Don't do that, Jesus says. You see, the rabbis in those days, the Pharisees and scribes and others, were teaching the people that if you swear an oath in the name of God, you must keep that oath. Don't forswear yourself. Keep your oath. But if you swear by heaven, or if you swear by the earth, or if you swear by Jerusalem or by your head, you don't have to be so concerned about those oaths. Those oaths aren't quite as binding as an oath in the name of God. But Jesus teaches, oh no, those oaths are just as binding as the oath in which you actually verbalize the name of God. One would think that with this clear instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, there would be no problems, no false doctrines or practices in regard to the swearing of oaths in all of the history of the Christian church. But unfortunately, that's not the case. During the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church began to teach just like the Jewish rabbis did. They began to make all kinds of distinctions. And they made complicated what was simple. And they said, well, it's okay to swear an oath in the name of St. George or St. Anthony or in the name of the Virgin Mary or by an angel. But in the days of the Reformation, God stirred up the Reformers to go back to the Scriptures. And when they did, they found what a horrible abomination it is to swear oaths in the name of saints and other creatures. There is only one proper oath, and that is to swear in the name of God. And that kind of an oath is most serious indeed. That's the only proper oath because God alone is God. He alone knows the heart. He alone can punish us if we swear falsely. We may swear oaths in the name of God, but we may not do so whenever we please. There's a proper time. There are certain circumstances in which we are permitted to swear oaths, but that does not mean that we may do so whenever we please. To begin this second point, 
I want to make this statement. Ideally, the scriptures teach us, ideally, oaths should never be necessary. In a perfect world, there would be no oaths. There would be no swearing of oaths. There was no swearing of oaths in the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, before Adam and Eve fell into sin, they never swore an oath to each other because they never had to confirm fidelity and truth. They always spoke the truth. Their yea was their yea. Their nay was their nay. There was no need to call upon God to confirm the truth. In paradise yet to come, when Jesus comes again in the clouds of heaven and creates a new heavens and a new earth and gathers all of us, his children, into the everlasting paradise, We will never swear oaths for all eternity. There will be no need to swear oaths to confirm fidelity and truth. Our yea will be our yea. Our nay will be our nay. We will always speak what we mean and mean what we speak. But in this fallen world, oaths have become necessary at times. God himself swore oaths after the fall of man into sin. Before the fall, he did not swear oaths. After the fall, he did. And God shows us by his own example then that in this fallen, sinful, corrupt, deceitful world, there is a time when oaths are needed. And chiefly, the time when oaths are needed is in the preaching of the gospel of salvation. That's when God swore his oath. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 18, we read this, When God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. The apostle goes on, God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. God swore an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God is God, and God cannot swear by anyone or anything greater than himself. So God swore an oath by himself. In his own name, God said, As I live, as I am God, I promise to establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee. I will be your God, Abraham, and you will be my people. I will take care of you and protect you and save you and bless you and give you everlasting life. I will send a Savior for you, a Messiah, to deliver you from your sins and to give you eternal life. And God kept his oath. When God swore that oath by himself, he kept his word. He was faithful to his word. And in the fullness of time, he sent forth his Son into the world, our Lord Jesus Christ, in the fulfillment of his oath that he had sworn long ago in the fulfillment of his everlasting counsel to save us from our sins and to give us everlasting life. In this fallen, sinful world, God swore an oath, an oath of salvation, an oath of the gospel, an oath to send Christ. And he kept that oath and sent Christ. 
For the apostle writes in Hebrews 6, it is impossible for God to lie. When God swears an oath, it is impossible for him to lie, impossible for him to commit perjury, and impossible for him to fail to keep his oath. That's the gospel this morning. The God of our salvation who swore the oath of salvation kept his word and sent Christ to die on the cross. And Christ, in fulfillment of God's oath, gave himself on the cross and shed his blood on the cross to pay for all of the filthiness of our tongues and lips, all of our rash swearing, all of our wicked oaths and profanity, all of our perjury, all of our wickedness in the area of swearing oaths. Jesus fastened it to his cross. Jesus shed his blood for it. Jesus paid for it in fulfillment of God's oath. And now God continues to swear his oath to us in the preaching of the gospel. Whenever the gospel is preached, whenever the promise of the gospel is preached, God swears an oath. And the oath that God swears in his own name is this. Whosoever shall believe in Jesus Christ crucified shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. But whosoever shall not believe in him shall be damned and shall perish for all eternity. And God is dead serious about that oath. And God will keep that oath, promising to all of us who believe in his son Jesus Christ, an oath in his own name, I will save you. Do not be afraid. Do not doubt. Do not fear. I will bless you and save you and deliver you and forgive you. God swears that oath to us for our consolation, Hebrews says, to give us consolation, comfort, and hope in Christ. There's a proper time for the swearing of oaths. And that proper time is first and foremost the preaching of the gospel of Christ. But what about for us? Is there a proper time for us to swear oaths in the name of our God? The Anabaptists said no. Menno Simons and his followers, the Mennonites, said no. Jesus said, swear not at all. James, the disciple of Jesus, said, do not swear. James 5, verse 12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. That seems very clear indeed. And indeed, we must not diminish from what our Lord Jesus is teaching us when he says, swear not at all, we must allow that teaching of Christ to have its full force as it comes down to us. Do not swear. Do not swear at all. That's his teaching. We do have to qualify and understand that in the light of all of Scripture, but before we do that, we must first hear the full force of that exhortation. Do not swear oaths. That is to say... In your daily lives, in your regular lives, in your regular conversations with your friends, with your family, with your brothers and sisters in the church, in the workplace, in the home, when you're out on vacation, 
in your leisure time, when you're angry, when you're frustrated, when you are disappointed, when you are upset, do not swear at all. Do not swear oaths because you are generally a dis untrustful, dishonest person and you feel the need to confirm in someone's mind that you're telling the truth. Don't do that. Don't swear those oaths. Rather, the Lord Jesus says, let your yea be yea and let your nay be nay. That's the general rule in the kingdom of heaven. That's the general guide for a Christian life. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. When you say yes, you mean yes. When you say no, you mean no. Don't be constantly swearing. Be an honest, trustworthy, reliable person. Be a man and a woman of integrity. And that means, too, do not be suspicious of your brothers and sisters in the church. In 1 Corinthians 13, the apostle teaches us about love in the church. And he says about love, love believeth all things. Love in the church is not suspicious of our brothers and sisters in the church. When you are suspicious, then there will be times when you will want to proliferate the swearing of oaths. I'm suspicious. I need you to swear an oath to me that you're telling the truth. Jesus says, do not swear at all. Do not be suspicious. But Jesus did not mean to say that we may never, ever, under any circumstance, or at any time, or in any circumstance, swear an oath. That's not what he meant. If that's what he meant, then what he said is in contradiction with the rest of God's word, and we know that can't be the case. God's word doesn't con contradict itself. And surely Jesus doesn't contradict the words of God, because Jesus is the word of God. We saw that Moses commanded Israel that if and when they swear an oath, they swear in the name of God. That's a proper oath. David swore in the name of God. That's a proper oath. Paul swore in the name of God. The Catechism teaches us on the basis of Scripture two times when we may properly swear an oath as a Christian. First, when the magistrate demands it of us as citizens of our town, our province, our nation, our kingdom. When the magistrate demands it of us. The magistrate is the government. When the government comes to us and says, you need to swear an oath, we do not disobey them. That is not an example of a time when we must obey God rather than men. There are times like that. The government may require us to do things that we must not do because God forbids it. This is not one of those times. When the magistrate says to us, you must swear an oath in this situation, we must obey the higher powers because those higher powers are ordained of God. Those higher powers are ordained by Christ. They are the ministers of God and Christ to us for good. Romans 13 the most well-known example that we think of is if we are ever called upon to go to court. If we are ever called to be a witness in court and 
we might be asked to raise up our right hand or to put our hand on a Bible and to, swear, and to say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. We have to swear that oath. And when we swear that oath, so help me God, and put ourselves into that serious situation, that's an act of faith and an act of worship. We are giving glory to our God. It may be that we may have to go to the government office to apply for a driver's license or to apply for a marriage license or some other kind of license. And the government may ask us to raise our right hand and to swear an oath, so help us God, or as God is our witness. It may be that a Christian man decides to go into government office and doing so, he has to swear an oath of office. He has to swear in the name of God that he will do his best to uphold the constitution and laws of the land and to labor and rule faithfully. We are to swear those oaths by faith. The second time when the catechism says we may swear oaths is when necessity requires us to confirm fidelity and truth to the glory of God and the safety of the neighbor. This is a little bit less clear, and this requires more wisdom on our part to determine when we are in a situation of necessity. When necessity requires. How do we know if we are in a situation when necessity requires us to swear an oath in the name of God? We must ask ourselves the question, in this situation, if I do not swear an oath for the confirmation of truth, is it possible that the name of God will be blasphemed? That the name of God will be dishonored? Then I might be in such a situation where necessity drives me to swear an oath carefully, reverently, in the name of God. Or am I in a situation in which the safety of my neighbor is at stake? His physical safety or his spiritual safety? Catechism does not distinguish. Either one. It could be his spiritual safety. It could be his earthly safety. There could be a situation in which there are accusations of abuse, of adultery, or some other serious accusation. So that there is a situation in which necessity drives us to require or to offer, to swear an oath in the name of our God to confirm the truth. But those are very serious and very rare situations. Going back to Lord's Day 36, we must be very careful to avoid rash swearing Rash swearing is the swearing of oaths when necessity does not require us to do so, when there is no serious situation before us, when we are in the midst of some trivial matter, some small frustration or little disappointment, and we swear an oath, or when, with regard to some very little matter, we swear to our coworker, or we swear to our friend, or we swear to our relative. I swear, I swear, I'm telling the truth. 
Or we say, I swear to God that I'm telling the truth. Or God is my witness that I'm telling the truth. But we're only telling the truth about some insignificant and trivial thing. That's a rash oath. That's taking God's name in vain. Only when necessity drives us, because there's a very serious situation, then we may swear in God's name. And when we do that, then we are calling upon God as our witness, who will punish me if I speak the truth, the lie. We're putting ourselves into that situation where God may send me to hell for all eternity if I do not speak the truth. And the purpose then of a law of an oath is the glory of God. The immediate purpose of an oath, as we have indicated, is always to confirm fidelity and truth, to establish the truth. A person makes a claim which he claims is the truth. But for some reason that claim is not credible. That claim is not reliable. There's some reason, some very significant, serious reason to doubt that claim. And it's a very serious matter. And the purpose of the swearing of an oath, perhaps a consistory was requiring a member to swear an oath about some matter, and his excommunication is at stake and on the line. His very membership in the church, a very serious matter, Maybe the consistory would require him to swear an oath to confirm fidelity and truth. Are you willing to put yourself into this position that God may damn you to hell if you don't speak the truth? And then, if a person does swear under oath to the consistory, the truth ought to be considered established unless there is clear evidence to the contrary. The purpose of an oath, the immediate purpose, is to establish the truth. But there's a higher purpose. As with all things, the higher purpose is the glory of God. As we said last Sunday, sometimes we take God's name in vain simply when we talk about God as if he is just a concept. Part of our theology. God is not a concept. God is a real, living, watchful, ever-present God. And when we swear an oath in his name, to confirm the truthfulness of what we are saying. We're giving glory to him. We're giving glory. We're acknowledging this living, ever-watchful God. He knows. He knows. He knows that I'm telling the truth. He knows that I'm not lying. I call upon him. I give glory to him as the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-righteous God. And then when we swear that oath, we give glory to him when we swear it with the utmost reverence. And when we swear that oath with the utmost carefulness. Because we are taking his name on our lips. 
So may the Lord use this instruction for our edification this morning and our instruction in the swearing of oaths. Let us remember that we are in the third part of the catechism here, so that the swearing of an oath in the name of God in those circumstances is an act of thankful worship and obedience to God. Go back to what we said earlier. God is the one who swore an oath and swears an oath to us through the preaching of the gospel to save and to bless us for all eternity through the precious blood of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And God kept that oath at the cross. And now as the great keeper of oaths, God calls us to be careful when we take oaths. And if and when we must do so, to do so by faith, to do so with reverence, to do so in gratitude to God and in worship. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy good instruction from the scriptures. We thank thee for the knowledge that thou art a real and living and ever-watchful God. And we thank thee, Father, for giving us thy own oath and keeping thy oath in Christ Jesus. We pray that we might also be careful in the swearing of oaths and that we might, when we swear oaths, do so with reverence and do so in worship and as a witness also to the world around us that we believe in the living God.